We will begin our evening with um, a word of prayer. We are very grateful to have this time together. As we open up God's Word, we want to first render our gratitude to Him. It could be that we have um, some listening in from uh, their homes this evening. We want to uh, say hello to you as well, and we're grateful for your, your being with us uh, during this time of study. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, how grateful we are. We, we struggle to find the words, Lord, for the gratitude we have for salvation in Christ. Oh Lord, we know we would not know of this except uh, that you have preserved your holy word for us. We're thankful, Father, for the Bible. We're thankful that our little ones are looking and studying the word uh, this evening. We pray your blessing upon them. And Father, we pray that you help us. Father, we're mindful of the great responsibility we have as your servants as we seek to shine your light in this world. Also, as we seek to be good examples to those who are younger. And as we, Father, seek to fulfill the mission you have give us, given us on this earth. Lord, help us to realize how brief life is, how unpredictable uh, life is. Help us to be uh, ready to serve you at, at any point. Lord, we certainly are mindful of your great love for us. Uh, Lord, it, it humbles us. It, it uh, causes us to certainly reflect upon uh, what we are and who we are uh, in your sight. Help us, Father, to never lose sight of uh, Thy Son, Jesus, and the great love, Father, the powerful love that has been shown uh, through Him. Lord, we're grateful for our parents that are associated with the church here. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for all the homes represented here at church. We pray that you would strengthen each one Help us all, Father, uh, to conduct ourselves on a daily basis that would bring glory uh, to your name. Father, we are grateful for our Lord Jesus, for all the prophecies that uh, led to him, for the miraculous virgin birth, uh, for his uh, childhood here on this earth, for his uh, teachings, uh, for his example, uh, for his suffering in our behalf, uh, for the cruel death that he endured for us, his burial and his resurrection on that first day of the week. Father, we're thankful for his continual uh, presence those 40 days after his resurrection. We're thankful for his glorious ascension up above. Uh, for his exaltation on, on thy right hand, for his being the head of the church, uh, that uh, he is now our high priest, that we can look to him and have comfort in him. Father, we, most of all, we want, to, we want to so live so we can be with you in eternity 
Thank you, Father, for making this, making this possible. Bless all who may be sick in any way upon this earth or anyone who may be associated with this congregation who has uh, fallen on hard times. We pray your blessing upon them all. Be with us through this class. In Jesus' name, amen. Sunday we were blessed by God to be able to discuss uh, the home. I want to continue uh, with you in regard uh, to the home. This evening we were able to talk from the viewpoint Sunday from dads. Dads, we said, based on the Bible, have three major responsibilities. Of course, more than that, but three major ones. To uh, teach respect, uh, to instill honesty, instill trust in the home, and to create stability uh, in the home. And that's just a, an example of the things that parents uh, must uh, instill in their children. And so I thought, while we have this on our mind, that we would continue uh, some studies along the line of the home this evening. And of course, switching our approach this evening, I, w I want to be able to ask questions and you respond. I want to, uh, we want to have Bible discussions always, but uh, sometimes we want to mix it up a little bit and see if we can together come up with the answers that we need. So we'll go along those lines this evening. I'm going to get started by talking about Bible camp. We are missing Bible camp this year because of the conditions of the world. But the home is uh, always on our mind when we're at Bible camp. Uh, we, we miss those that we're separated from. Children at Bible camp are often separated from their parents for the first time in their lives. Or even if it's the second or third time, they still have that separation. And so we're constantly speaking with the young people about the home. And we take a lot of time talk, to talk about the home. Oftentimes, children come with a lot of questions to Bible camp about the home. One of the major things that we face at Bible camp is um, a young people's... A young people's um, inquiry as to when they should be baptized. And many have been thinking about that, but when you get to Bible camp and you're focused just on the Bible and just on spiritual matters and you're not distracted, oftentimes that's a great time to think about obeying uh, the gospel. And so oftentimes we have very young children who, want to, who re will request baptism. Oftentimes we'll have uh, children who are ready uh, to be baptized in the Christ. Now, I want to start out with this broad question to all of you and then ask several small questions uh, within this broad question. The big question is, uh, between the time when infants, children are pure and innocent before God, between that time and the time that they obey the gospel and begin to live the Christian life, 
What are some things that parents ought to be teaching and practicing uh, to encourage their children to actually obey the gospel? Okay. So what are some specific things that parents ought to be teaching and uh, instilling and practicing that would certainly encourage uh, the children to regard God and His Son and the Gospel as something very, very valuable. And so that's the broad question, but let me uh, break it down just a little bit. I said that children are innocent. Infants, children coming into this world uh, innocent, without sin, uh, their, their soul is in no danger of being lost uh, during a childhood. Uh, how, do, how does one uh, show that from Scripture? Okay. And so, please feel welcome to answer that. How do you show that from Scripture, that a child is actually uh, innocent and pure, because there are some in the religious world that does not uh, understand this properly, but what would you, where would you start? What, what Bible incident or verse comes to your mind to show that children indeed are pure when they come into this world? Okay. Okay. Mike mentions Matthew 18, 1 through 4, when Jesus called a little child uh, into the midst of him and his disciples. And what was he teaching his disciples with this little child? So their hearts had to be pure like little children in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And more specific than that, more like humility and pureness. Okay. Jesus would not have uh, used the example of a little child had little child children uh, being condemned before God. So that's a, that's a good example, Matthew 18, uh, 1 through 4. What else comes to your mind? You think about the innocence of little children. Ezekiel 28, it says that if you were, um, that was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in you. Okay. Not be perfect. Alright, so notice Ezekiel 28 and verse uh, 15. Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. Okay, Andrew, I'll get you to read that again in just a second. Everybody turns over there. Ezekiel 28 and verse uh, 15. Okay, go ahead. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Okay. So notice that when we're created, we are perfect, we're blameless uh, with God until iniquity is uh, created within us or, is, or comes into us. Okay. Good one. Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. Any other passages come to mind when you think about the innocence of children? Okay. Uh, Ezekiel 18.20 while you're in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18 and verse 
disappointed. Go ahead, Andrew, and read that for us as well. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Okay. So the soul that sins, it shall die, Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The son doesn't bear the iniquity of the father, and neither does the uh, father bear the iniquity of the son. In other words, people become sinners, but it's not because of their parents' sin, it's because of a personal choice that each of us makes. One passage that you might consider, Jeremiah 19 and verse 4, there was a terrible practice that even the people of Judah had had become part of, and it was also part of their idolatry, and that is some sort of teaching in the idolatrous world that you need to sacrifice your own children, have them pass through the fire. And God condemns them for this. He said, this is why you're going to be destroyed because of the blood of the innocents. You have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. That is, the blood of the children. One of the main reasons that we know that children come into the world innocent is because it, sin is such a nature that it's a personal choice. Personal choice. And whereas children are not yet with the ability of being able to choose personal faith, just because of the nature of the case, so they also don't have the ability to make personal decisions about sin. You remember James 1? Uh, 13 to 15, where James talks about a sinner, and he says, Each man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. And so, But it's of a person's own lust. And children are just not there yet. So they come in uh, innocent. Now, the second question is this. Since children's soul is not in danger, that is, if a child um, is a child when Jesus comes again, then their soul is not going to be in danger. And, or, if, tragically, if a child passes away, their soul is not going to be uh, in danger. But, uh, is it necessary for parents to teach their children, is it necessary for, for children to have a religious life even though their soul is not in danger? So okay, so what shows this from the Bible? That children need to be very religious, they need to be receiving instruction. What passages come to your mind to show that even though their soul, per se, is not in direct danger, of being lost, what, what from the Bible shows us that children need to still be religious and be gaining religious knowledge? Because throughout the Bible, even starting with the Old Testament, God tells them over and over again, teach your children my words so that they will not sin and depart from me. So even from the very beginning, he teaches us. Okay. So Miss Julie is saying that you know, throughout Scripture, God says to parents, teach your children uh, the Word. Let's see if we can 
uh, find one specific place. Do you have one in mind from the Old Testament? Deuteronomy? Okay. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Larry, you want to read that for us? Uh, verses 4 through uh, 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. So that's a reading from Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 through 9. Larry, what's the, what's the main gist of that reading, do you think? Okay. So training a child is paramount. That's, that's the main function of parents. And Larry, uh, Larry mentioned Proverbs 22, verse 6, along with that as well. Now, look at the uh, New Testament passage of Ephesians 6 and verse 4. What does that say? Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Thank you, Miss Ida. Ephesians 6 verse 4. Don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We can substitute the words there for nurture would be just simple instruction. That's what is meant there, nurturing. Uh, the way we nurture our souls is through instruction from God's Word. Bring them up through the instruction. Admonition is sort of like discipline. Discipline. Uh, as you teach them, then use those Bible words, use God's words to admonish them, to um, uh, impart wisdom to them. Okay. And so this passage especially brings out the idea that children are to be receiving religious knowledge from God's word, but also to be having uh, religious duties uh, in their lives as well. Think about instruction. And think about what we know about knowledge and instruction uh, from God. Not only does God want us to learn, but He wants us to be doers of the what? Doers of the Word. Okay, James 1.22. And so when we impart knowledge of God to our children, uh, we, by nature almost, because we know what the Bible says, uh, we know that they don't really have full knowledge until they're doing the Word. As Jesus says in Luke 6 and 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So the hearing of that word is great, 
but the doing of it is even more important. In fact, learning is not really learning until uh, the learning is being applied to life. We, we read this back uh, several times in our study of Revelation, but in Revelation uh, 1, in verse 3, you remember John's, some of John's opening remarks. He says in Revelation 1, 3, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and blessed are those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So, we got to read, we got to hear what we're reading, and we got to keep or apply or do uh, what we are learning as well. So, in God's mind, why would we impart knowledge to our children and not expect them to be doing that word in their lives? So that implies that our, our children need to be religious. All right, share that with us. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. Still uh, with the question of are parents expected to impart religious knowledge even though their children are technically in no danger of losing their So go ahead, Miss. Uh, you want to read? So Paul's speaking to Timothy that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Notice that word wise there. Okay. That certainly implies uh, living out the Word. The Word will make us wise. It causes us to do those things which are, are proper and obey. Now, think about Ephesians 6, verse 4, just a little bit further. So, there's that one word, nurture or instruction, which implies obedience. But then on top of that, he says, a discipline or admonition. Okay. So, in almost in a double way, Paul is saying, uh, he would, God expects us to be imparting knowledge and that our children respond with a lot of religious activity, a lot of religious knowledge and activity. Because it says discipline. Discipline uh, speaks, right to con speaks right to the conduct of a child. And so children are expected to be learning about God, but also uh, be shaping their conduct, their behavior, toward what God has said. God's Word forbids certain things. Children can learn that. God's Word says add certain things to your lives continually. Children can learn that. So both, when he says both instruction and discipline, he certainly seems to be saying our children need a religion in their lives. When we, go ahead. Paul's saying that 
under the Jewish covenant with the Jews, uh, they would be born into the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then they would be taught by their parents uh, instructions from God in, the, in those days. Okay. For us, um, we're not born into it physically, but spiritually, but before that spiritual birth can take place, the children need uh, the proper knowledge. Okay. Let's look at that. Hebrews 8 for just a second. Turn your Bibles there, please. Hebrews 8. I believe what uh, our brother is saying kind of, is kind of brought out here. Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 12, actually is a quotation from Jeremiah 31. Speaking of the, of the new covenant uh, that is coming, I'll pick up in verse 10, Hebrews 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When the writer says, Each one of his brothers, uh, you shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, they shall all know me. If one is part of the new covenant, then they would have already come to know the Lord because the teaching is required to be able to be part of the new birth process, to be part of God's new covenant. Okay. And so, uh, Brother Paul is exactly right. Under the Jewish system, they were born into it and then they were taught about their heritage. Uh, for us, teaching's got to begin in even a more ferocious way because we want our children to learn about God and make that choice uh, to obey Him. Okay. Right. okay, so the third part of our question tonight gets to our specific things, and that is, what, what specific things can one teach that will make it real obvious to children that they need to obey the gospel. Now, I'm trying to stay away from that question at what age should, should a child obey the gospel because uh, more important than age uh, to me is um, you know, what knowledge do they receive and how are they receiving that knowledge and how are they developing uh, in, um, in their behavior? And uh, are they ready to take on uh, being a servant of God? Okay. Those are kind of the three criteria that I think about when I think about when should a child obey the gospel. Uh, personal knowledge, um, behavior, how is the, is the Word of God shaping his or her life? And then... Um, are they ready to take on being a servant of God? Let's always remember Romans uh, 6 and verse 18. Paul says, You obeyed from the heart that form a doctrine that was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you became what? Servants of righteousness. That's supposed to be an automatic situation. Okay. 
that kind of helps parents understand when their children should obey the gospel. Are they ready to be servants of the Lord? Or do you have in mind that they're going to get baptized and then perhaps six or seven, late, six or seven years later, then they start serving the Lord? Well, that doesn't really square with Scripture. Okay. Now, scripture says you go right from obedience, you, right, you go right from being a servant of sin to becoming a servant of righteousness. So we keep that in mind as well. But I want to hear from you. Uh, what specific things do you think parents can share with their children to be able to aim them toward gospel obedience? So not just general knowledge, but what specific knowledge do you think uh, they need to learn? Love, responsibility, and sacrifice. All right. Brother Ken says love, responsibility, and sacrifice. So Ken, explain to us uh, why each of those things you think are important from parent to child. So, Ken is saying, through the knowledge of Scripture, you must come to know what love is, what really love is, love, the love of God and how it should come into our lives. Okay. And then the response, being able to be responsible toward responding to that, right? bringing that into your lives. And then, you um, said love, responsibility, and sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifice to Jesus, but then also following his example as well. And those are big, big goals. And so this is, it's really an, an, a, an adult decision that one makes to become a child of God. Good, good summary. Okay. Being there, being a faithful child of God, not just sitting in the church. Okay. So Mike is saying that another thing parents can do is to be with them, not just send them to church but being with them and being with them in a faithful way uh, in religious assemblies. It's a good suggestion as well. Okay, start early, Bertha says, start early teaching them about sin, about sin, the consequences of sin and how that plays out in, in the plan of God. Very important. It's not just not just misbehavior, but this is something that is contrary to God's will. Good. All right. All right. Very good. Specific things. Um, we can hear some more. Okay, Brother Lake. Well, uh, along with a specific teaching, uh, it's always good to involve children with you as if you go about your Christian Bible study with, with someone or going to help someone in need uh, in a benevolent way. Uh, everything Christian that, that parents are involved in to the extent that they can, they carry the children, they involve the children, let the children even be a part of it.
Larry says complimenting your teaching is to involve your children in, in all the, as many of the religious services that you're doing, whether it be worship or whether it be serving in different places and different ways. Have your children with you. Let them see with their own eyes what it is uh, to live out the Christian life. Very good. Okay. Right. But Julie's saying, uh, teaching them proper, the importance of worship, the proper way to worship according to the New Testament, and instill that into them uh, will be of great eternal value. Appreciate that very much. Let me share with you, and please keep thinking about some specific uh, things you can say in regard to this. Let me share with you some of the older Preachers. When I say older preachers, I'm talking about uh, those of a couple of generations, two or three generations before us, but they would address this same question. Uh, Brother J.W. McGarvey, he would say that since the plan of salvation involves faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, that even though your child may not be old enough to be baptized, to be involved in that last act, of obedience yet, yet children can surely learn to be part of the first three as they're growing up. You certainly want to uh, impart the word to them so they can learn to believe. And not just, not just to believe that there is a God, but to learn to trust Him and obey Him, which is full faith. And then they can learn, as Bertha was saying, they can learn about sin and how that if they do something wrong, they need to turn away from that wrong and learn not to do it uh, again and learn what repentance is. Even before they obey the gospel, they can start learning about repentance. And you can start teaching your child to speak up uh, for that which is right, to confess Christ uh, before men and, not, and to, become, uh, to, to gather some courage while they're young that will stay with them uh, even as they get older. And then, of course, uh, the immersion then will take care of itself when they come to the proper knowledge and awareness of their sin. That's, that's something that he threw out there, and I thought that was, that was pretty good. What else do you have to say in regard to specifics that can be uh, focused upon, can be taught um, as children are from that that time lying between when they're definitely pure as children, but then that time of young adulthood where they begin to become adults and sinners and they need to obey the gospel. And you think of other specific matters. That example goes forever. My dad quit when I was four, but he was a good dad. My grandma, my grandpa, my mama, faithful day in the long. Mama going out and doing a survey. That example that our family sets before us is so important. Okay. So 
Knight once again brings the power of example, mentioning several of his relatives and how that that really does stay with the child. Uh, they they what they see with their eyes often does sink deeper into their hearts than than what we uh, say to them. So Keith, um, did I call you Keith? Uh, Ken. Ken is saying, um, Ken is saying uh, faith is so central and especially teaching them to have their own faith. Uh, to be able to believe not just because uh, mom and dad and grandpa believe, but because that is the thing to do. That's, that's the thing that, that is obvious from uh, everything about them, from scripture, from the world around them. Uh, to be able to stand on their own two feet in regard uh, to their faith. That's not easy, it's easy to say, but it's not, not always the easiest thing to get done. But very important, very important. So the power of prayer needs to be uh, shared with our children as well, most definitely. And that they would not only notice the prayers that we're praying, uh, but how we pray in their sight. That they themselves learn to pray and to voice their feelings to God. But especially a family prayer. Uh, can, how can that not make an impact upon the children? Very, very good. Only a chicken can't say no. Be, be willing, able to stand alone if you need to uh, with your faith. Okay, good. All right. Julie is saying that our faith with our families, in our families, is, is, uh, can have and does have a big impact on other families, children from other families. And that is, that is certainly the case uh, as well. Let me give you five fatal things and let you respond to these in the next uh, few minutes before we close down. These are five fatal things uh, that have been shared uh, over the years. So, fatal thing number one, in the home, if you never mention God, that's bad. You wouldn't believe how many families come to church and that's the only time that God is mentioned is whatever they hear about God at church, but it's not discussed at home. It's not 
It's not, uh, there's, there's no reading, praying, there's no just conversations about uh, God and what he's doing uh, in the world and what he wants done in the world. So just leaving God out is a fatal mistake. Fatal mistake number two is to complain about church. You want to destroy a child's faith in God, complain constantly about church and you'll, have, you'll do your job uh, well. Number three is to give them a card, age 16. Number four is to give them all the money that they want and desire. And number five is to not allow them to suffer the consequences of their decisions. Now, which of those five fatal things do you want to respond to? Okay, leaving God out, complaining, car at 16, money at every turn, not allowing them to, you know, covering them, not allowing them to suffer the consequences of their decisions. Okay, go. Sister Kay is saying that the last one there, um, not allowing them to suffer consequences of bad decisions because it, it plays into what she wanted to say earlier, and that is respect for the authority of God. Uh, that is huge. And part of her teaching that respect is um, to teach them about decisions and consequences. Miss Susan's saying, you've you got to talk about Satan. You've got to talk about the devil to your children. And that's so true. And I'm glad you said that because I wanted to, to say that earlier in regard to danger. A child's soul is not in danger as far as where they're at in their childhood. But their soul is in danger if we don't, if we don't train them. Because the devil is after our children. Make no mistake about that. And... If we don't do our job well, he will certainly be right there to do his job well. So certainly that's, that's a good, I'm glad you threw that in there, because Satan is real, and our children must know about that. All right, All right Brother So, uh, Mike has a rebuttal toward the uh, car at 16. Okay. And, uh, of course, it's a good car at 16. We didn't say the child not to have their car. They can have a car. It's just the fatal thing for some is at age 16. Mike is saying that can, that can happen in a responsible way. But 
I say these things so that you might say something. So, um, one thing David, that you haven't mentioned tonight and has not been brought up is involvement. That's something we really need to teach our kids. We need to teach them that, but we need to show them that too. I've been in a situation many a time with parents that brought kids to youth activities and wanted to drop them off and wanted that to get them in the know and in the mood of being a Christian. Parents never did anything. Right. So Kim brings up a very strong idea there, certainly involving our children uh, in church, in religion. Um, we can't just expect them to be religious and, and ourselves uh, not. It doesn't work that way. It's got to be in our heart first, as Larry read for us from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Go ahead, Larry. Larry's bringing up the important point of explaining to your children why we do things the way we do them. And that's, that's, that's certainly, that's, that's great. And children do pass from that stage of absorbing facts. When they get to the middle school years, they begin to want to know, well, why all these facts? Why, why all this? Why do we do it this way? And we, we must be ready to explain why. Okay, constant reading of the Bible and be ready to have conversations about it. Okay. We'll take our break right here and um, transition into our devotional time and we'll take about a two or three minute break to see uh, about our song leader and um, so forth after that. Thank you so much for being part of class. Appreciate your responses and uh, your comments. Appreciate the good homes we do have, I appreciate the good parents and grandparents that uh, certainly make up our congregation here.